0: Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging, objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. I'm pleased to welcome to the program today the editor and publisher of The New Criterion, Roger Kimball. How are you, Roger?
2: I'm very well, Clay. How are you? Very well, thank you. And
1: how are things in New York City?
2: Well, I'm actually uh, out in Connecticut, but I can tell you on information and beliefs that things are not well in New York City. New York City has kind of a communist mayor and he's turned out to be kind of a problem. He doesn't understand the difference between ma'am and tu'am, mine and yours. And productive part of the population is packing up and leaving in droves. You can see the moving vans lining up down the street to take the people away who actually think that living in a community where the police are allowed to do their job and are given the respect of the people for doing that very difficult job, uh, they think that's a good thing. But Mayor de Blasio clearly does not. So things are not well in New York.
1: I understand that statewide, uh, even the governor of New York has been begging some of those productive people to not leave. I think he said, I'll take you to a nice dinner if you stay.
2: Yes, this is true. This is true. Well, uh, Andrew Cuomo has his own problems, the governor of New York, but I think that the instinct for self-preservation perhaps has not been entirely bred out of the governor, whereas poor Mayor de Blasio with his fondness for Marxist ideology, uh, I'm afraid that he he is beyond all of that.
1: Well, your publication, The New Criterion, uh, is a monthly review covering both current topics and, I think, eternal topics. Uh, it has prose, poetry, talks about art and the arts. Hilton Kramer was your founding editor. When did he and Samuel Lipman start the publication?
2: The New Criterion was started by Sam Lipman, a pianist and music critic, and, and Hilton, uh, who at that time was the chief art critic for the New York Times, a former newspaper in New York. Around about 1981, they had the idea. The first issue came out in September of 1982. So we are coming up very quickly on our 40th anniversary, which I think would have surprised Hilton and Sam. But they saw the new criterion as kind of an experiment Could a broad church conservative publication make a go of it in a landscape that everyone had assumed was the natural province of the left? After all, everyone knew that, to quote John Stuart Mill, conservatives were the stupid party and they didn't really care about culture. Well, on the contrary, conservatives do care about culture, those who are paying attention anyway, because they know that at the end of the day as Andrew Breitbart put it, politics is downstream from culture. And uh, ultimately, it's really the decisions we make about cultural matters, that is to say, how we're going to live our lives, that determines this, the shape of our, our polity as well. You know, it, it was Alan Bloom in his famous book, The Closing of the American Mind, who said that really to enjoy a liberal arts education in the traditional sense means to understand and to have considered in a very thoughtful manner the chief alternatives that have been proposed throughout history to the question, what is the good life? that is really a a large part of what the new criterion is about. We're serious, but not academic. But a large part of what we're about is battling what I like to call cultural amnesia, the idea that somehow whatever happened before 10 years ago or 20 years ago is ancient history. No, we we think that we still have a lot to learn from uh, Sophocles or Homer or Plato or Aristotle or Plutarch or whoever. These are living presences to us, and we want to make them come alive for you. Since most of our colleges and universities have given up on that project, we thought you could do it for $48 a year by subscribing to the new criterion, rather than spending $70,000 a year to be indoctrinated by the woke professionals who govern our expensive and increasingly insulated universities. But really, the new criterion we're really about two things. The battle in cultural amnesia is one large part of what we do. And in many ways, I think it's the most important. But what we probably are most famous for is the polemical side of the magazine. We occupy that curious space that Lionel Trilling, the famous literary critic from Columbia University described when he spoke of the bloody crossroads where culture and politics meet. We're not a political magazine. We don't endorse candidates or lobby for particular legislation, but we're we're about cultural politics. We think that some books are, are better than others. We think that there's a, a reason why universities traditionally were described as ivory towers, because they should be at one remove from the activist Twitterings of everyday politics. Increasingly, what we have seen in our culture since at least the 1960s is the politicization of everything. But the new criterion has always been about rescuing a a space for thoughtful life apart from all of this activism. we, we very much are opposed to the idea that is being put abroad recently that silence is violent.
1: All right. Well, this has been an unusual year. Pardon the gross understatement. And some of us have taken up new hobbies during these times of mass house arrest. In fact, this little interview program we're talking on right now started at the end of June as my COVID hobby. Mm -hmm. I want to talk with you about uh, events that are shaping our nation and to focus that really broad gaze. I'm going to refer to a couple of essays that you have written, one early in the summer and one now at its end for Labor Day. In the inaugural episode of this program, I was explaining why I had taken on this project, and the punchline I offered was this four-word motto that I like, that, that is, is. And then on the 11th of July, you published uh, what I consider truly to be the essay of the year, which you began with a quote from the sermons of Joseph Bishop Butler. He said, quote, everything is what it is and not another thing, unquote. So my question to you, Roger Kimball, is why do... So many people actively reject objective reality.
2: You've put your finger on a deep question, I think, to which there's no simple answer. But I I think it has a lot to do with the seductive nature of utopian thought. You remember uh, one of the great architects of utopian thought was Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And he said in his book, The Social Contract, if you would dare make a new people you have to be willing to undertake the total renovation of human nature. In other words, you don't accept man as he is and start from there, which is where the founders of our country started. But rather you say, man is this totally fungible material that we can remake in our own image. And this has been a bedrock idea that has fueled utopians and has led to uh, untold suffering. You get people like Lenin, uh, like Stalin, like Pol Pot, like Mao, who who regard humanity as uh, the raw material for their uh, utopian projects, and the, and down that alley to to adapt something that uh, Edmund Burke said: "What you see at the at the end of that garden are gallows." From, from here to to eternity, the conservative temperament. I wrote in in another essay uh, is basically a cheerful acceptance of the truth to take the line from the book of genesis god made the world and saw that it was good there's something essentially affirmative about the conservative sensibility and it's often been remarked that conservatives seem to have a better sense of humor it's quite instructive i think to look at the left-wing agenda why all these these rules and regulations about the kind of bag you must take to your local grocery store, the kind of car you must drive. The whole regulatory apparatus of the busybody state, the nanny state, is a, I think, a vivid reminder to what extent the progressive mentality is uh, the nettlesome mentality. In a way, it's just another expression of what Uh, Tocqueville noticed back when he's writing Democracy in America back in the 1830s. He talked about democratic despotism. They don't tyrannize over people. They infantilize them. And how do they do this? They do this by the promulgation of rules and regulations that reach into the interstices of everyday life. And they, they soften, they weaken, they enervate, they make Uh, individual initiative and entrepreneurship almost impossible. These are the unelected bureaucrats who run our lives. You want uh, to drive a car? You've got to deal with them. You want to uh, go fishing? You've got to deal with them. You want to uh, build a house or add on to your house or buy another house? You have to deal with these people. And who are they? They weren't elected by anybody. They're this cadre of an ever-increasing, suffocating, bureaucratic, so-called elite that sit around all day thinking of ways uh, in which they can run your life. I
1: call them puppet masters.
2: Yes, they are puppet masters. They are puppet masters. And this line from um, from Bishop Butler that you quote, that you know everything is what it is and not another thing, sounds very simple. But if you if you actually think about it and sort of follow out its implications, you'll find that it's actually a very powerful antidote to some of this activist nonsense that is robbing us of our freedoms one after the next.
1: Now, in your July essay, you noted that the anti-Trump crowd really didn't take him that seriously in 2016. You say that they knew he could not win, but now they realize that he did win. So they've taken him a lot more seriously this time. And you say, quote, they've come together in a single caterwauling primal scream to stop him unquote. And you used a really powerful word picture, Roger Kimball to describe what the left has been doing quote. They thought they could ride the tiger to victory. Instead, they will be consumed by the monster they created, but could not control, unquote. Would you please explain what that means in terms of the events that we've been observing?
2: Well, I think it means a couple of things. Most obviously, I think the violence and the anarchy rippling across our country's cities, mostly, by the way, if not exclusively democratic cities, which is an interesting thing to keep in mind. This is not going to stop. This is a well-organized, well-funded movement that is uh, taken on a life of its own. And the only way to stop it is to make it too expensive for the people who are participating in it to continue. And I don't see the Democrats as having that stomach. Senator Harris
1: explicitly said on Stephen Colbert's show, they will not stop. In fact, she said, we will not stop including herself with the, the yeah, terrorists, yeah. if you hey. will. And and I describe them as terrorists because when I deployed in the global war on terror, our mission specifically was make it too expensive for the bad guys to do what they want to do.
2: Not only did she say that it was going to go on, she said that it should go on. There's a phenomenon that we've seen time and time again uh, from these radical movements, leftist autophagy. That is to say, they're self-consuming. They eat themselves. Uh, Robespierre in the French Revolution was there proclaiming the dictatorship of virtue he talked about virtue and its emanation terror so he thought that terror was a good thing because it was an indication of the the extent to which the new french republic that was starting from the year zero and renamed the months and so on that this revolutionary society was going to be a wholly virtuous society of course along the way we had to uh, get rid of all those people who were not fully on board well, of course, uh, it was only a matter of a couple of years before he met his end on the scaffold and was guillotined. You uh, will have noted that the the author of the primary essay of the so-called 1619 Project, that genius, that MacArthur genius, Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, who was just awarded a Pulitzer Prize for her macabre fantasy that says that the United States was founded as a slaveocracy and that the chief reason for the... Revolutionary War was to perpetuate the institution of slavery, she said uh, in public uh, that she was proud to think that the 2020 riots were being referred to as the 1619 riots. These people are nuts. And yet the curriculum that was articulated by the 1619 project, it's been adopted in 4,500 school districts. I'm happy to say that someone brought this to the attention of the president and uh we're seeing as we speak executive orders to stop the the public funding of any school system that should be engaged in promulgating such a historical anti American nonsense.
1: If any listeners want to hear the entire 1619 project completely obliterated in less than 10 minutes, an uh, interview I did with David Barton of Wall Builders does exactly that from historical context. Well, Roger, on Labor Day weekend, you wrote another piece called When Wish Replaces Thought. Mm -hmm. probably not Paul Krugman's favorite bit of writing, but I enjoyed it. And uh, still, though, I think it was a little bit cruel of you to not include a trigger warning on that essay Mm -hmm. to let leftists know they were going to be exposed to some thoughts contrary to their own preconceptions. But uh, I'm just going to go straight to the worst offense Mm -hmm. that you put into this Uh, thing, which is quote, Donald Trump has had the most successful term of any president in memory, maybe ever unquote. So first, how dare you? And, Second, uh, I demand, Roger Kimball, that you offer us some challengeable data to back that up.
2: Donald Trump, clearly a, an unusual figure on the political landscape in America. I did not support him during the primary. But, you know, I began listening to what Trump was saying. And I thought, well, you know, that makes sense. And this over here makes sense. And this makes sense. And I liked what he said about judges. I liked what he said about illegal immigration. I liked what he said about the regulatory state and uh, how it was impinging in a very negative way upon uh, our country's economy. I liked what he had to say about the need to rebuild the military, about bringing uh, manufacturing back to the United States, about the perils of a sort of thoughtless globalist economy how any notion of free trade had to also be fair trade, and on and on and on and on. Politicians make a lot of promises. I think it's been quite extraordinary, the number of promises that Donald Trump has kept. You know, whether it's symbolic things like moving our embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Now other countries around the world are moving their embassies to Jerusalem. It turned out to be a remarkably thoughtful, diplomatically important initiative. One, by the way, that he followed up just a couple of weeks ago when he brokered a deal between the United Arab Emirates and and Israel, an impossible act of, of diplomacy that turned out to be actual. That's a major success. In my view, it's a major success that he has managed to get more than 300 judges nominated and confirmed, along with two Supreme Court justices who are... Uh, judges and justices uh, of the stamp of Antonin Scalia. That is to say, they believe that the judiciary's role is not to make law, but to uphold the law. That's a very important difference. That's an extraordinary accomplishment. Uh, I think his tax cut was an extraordinary accomplishment. There should be more tax cuts, but he did the best he could given the the, the opposition he met in Congress. He came to office when that JV threat, according to, to Barack Obama, isis was everywhere if you looked at the map the caliphate was this huge blob uh it's gone he de- he destroyed it he got rid of Baghdadi. then he got rid of soleimani these were good things to do then there's the trade policies that the the deal with mexico and canada major major accomplishments so i can't think of of any other president that has had such a l- long and important litany of successes ronald reagan had the two two huge successes Bringing down the Soviet Empire, unquestionably major, huge, gigantic. And he got an important tax cut through, which led to the jump starting of the, the greatest accumulation of wealth in history, e- anywhere.
1: If I may just ask you one final question one of the benefits of this really crazy time uh, that we've had this uh, 2020 is uh, a lot more of us have gained an appreciation for this type of manipulation called gaslighting. I guess Mm -hmm. we should expect if uh, Broadway shows ever get on the road again, we're going to have a lot of revivals of angel street, but there's this new media, Mm -hmm. YouTube and the social media. And we've seen disturbingly an ability of relatively few people Mm -hmm. having a high degree of control over what information people can and cannot see. So I'm going to ask for a prediction, Roger Kimball, will Americans overcome the hysterical, bombastic disinformation campaign during this election cycle.
2: I believe they will, but there's a chance that they won't. If they don't, I believe that the America that we understand as a country with the, the, our history and so on it will it will be at an end. There will still be a place called America, but it will no longer be. America as we have understood it for the last 250 years. Now, um, uh, you know, you mentioned the new criterion. I also am the publisher of a um, book publishing company called Encounter Books, uh, also yes. out of New York. And we have, a, I think, an important book ju- just coming out uh, at, like any day now by Devin Nunez, and it's uh, it's called Countdown to Socialism. It's in our, our special broadside series. We like to say you can uh, read them in a sitting and come away knowing the 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 best you can hope for and the worst you must fear. But the theme of this uh, of this broadside countdown to socialism is exactly what you were asking about. It is the malevolent influence of entities like Facebook and Twitter and Google and Amazon to uh, manipulate public opinion and change behavior by censoring by controlling what people see their power is extraordinary and malevolent because they they are not neutral providers they're not like a utility providing electricity to everybody they are political activists on the left-wing side who want to to quote president obama and now joe biden fundamentally transform the united states of america now ask yourself this if you're living in the freest richest most secure polity in the history of the world, if you were to fundamentally transform it, which of those things would change? Would that be uh, would that be a good thing or a bad thing?
1: And you might ask, how can you love something that you want to fundamentally transform?
2: Exactly that, right.
1: That's a topic for another day. And I uh, thank you so much, Roger Kimball for uh, joining me on core principles. And I hope that uh, listeners have learned a lot as I have. And, uh, Wish you a very good day. Thank you, Clark.
0: Now it's time for our special historical segment featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied.
1: On the 15th of September, 1835, Charles Darwin arrived at the Galapagos Islands aboard HMS Beagle. During his study of wildlife and natural formations on those islands, Darwin gathered more evidence that living things change adaptively in ways that better suit them to their environments. This observation is a key to Darwin's theory of evolution. But when Darwin published his theory in 1859, he did not call it On Change nor On Adaptation. Instead, he called his work On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Yet, evolution refers to change, and all the observable and reasonably inferable changes that happen in living beings happen within breeding groups. That is, evolution has nothing to say about origins
0: core principles podcast is produced in paducah kentucky by real productions music is by late july l-e-i-g-h-t july you can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com thank you for joining us today for this episode of the core principles podcast please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.